Since February, Corey, my wife and I, we've had a dog. Um, by and large, I'm not a dog person. I'm not really a cat person either. But uh, my sister-in-law had a dog. She moved out of where she was staying, moved into another place, couldn't really keep the dog. And so, you know, I don't even know how I got volunteered for this. But it was like, hey, yeah, Jeremy will keep your dog. And um, so it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll keep it. It was like a week. All right, that's been since February. This dog hates me. Uh, it's a boxer, great dog, good with kids, uh, a really nice dog, sweet dog, except that the dog, is, I'll phrase it appropriately for our setting, he loves every other dog in the neighborhood, okay? So here's what that means. That means that any single time that the door to our house or the gate to our backyard or our garage door or anything opens, he goes sprinting out. He's gone. Right. It doesn't matter if you have him on a leash. It doesn't matter if he's in the backyard. He will jump the fence if he has to. He's going to find his new friends. And so I, I try to keep him in the backyard. We, we keep, I mean, we, we try our best to do everything. And, and we've taught our, our oldest kids. We've got four. We've taught the eight-year-old, the six-year-old, really the four-year-old. Hey, you can't leave the door open. You can't leave the gate open. You have to make sure that Oscar stays in the backyard or he stays in the house or whatever it is he's doing. And a couple of days ago... I was in the kitchen, and he was in the backyard playing. The kids were in the backyard playing, and, and then that satanic noise started. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's the ice cream truck. It just makes this noise, and my kids heard it, at which point they come running to me. Daddy, 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 please, 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 please. We've got we to make the most expensive ice cream ever. We need $1,000. Please, 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 please. So they opened the back door to get into the kitchen, and I, I'm in the kitchen well, then they go running out. I think the plan was that Cooper was going to come get the money while Branson made sure the truck didn't leave the neighborhood. So Branson runs out the front door, leaving the front door open. The back door's been left open. I'm trying to figure out what even happened because I was minding my own business. I have no clue what's happened. And all of a sudden, here's what I see. Oscar run from the backyard into the kitchen, through the house, out the front door. I'm thinking, oh, no. So I go running out of the house. I'm like, Oscar, stop, obey, sit, lay down, whatever you got. Please stop running away from me. And I get out into the street and he has found a new friend. And the owner of that friend is not too happy that they are now making a connection. They're exchanging phone numbers. And so at this point, the owner of that dog begins beating I'll say my dog for these purposes, but beating my dog with the, the rubber end of a blower, trying to get that dog. I don't want you having my dog's phone number. Please stay away. And so he's beating this dog with, a, with the end of this blower about the time I get there. And these dogs are fighting and they're mad and there's all kinds of craziness. The, the blower has made this really a, a totally inconvenient situation. I'm keeping my cool. I'm like, hey, you guys stop it. Seriously. I mean, let's, let's be calm about this. And he is just losing his mind. And these dogs are going at it and they're screaming and yelling and biting. And, and so by the time I get them broken up, I, I get Oscar, this dog, I get Oscar and I kind of grab him by the collar and I'm, I'm, I'm walking him back up towards the house. And as I'm walking him towards the house, I see on his neck, on the coat of his neck there, a little bit of blood. I'm thinking, oh, man, he's got blood on him. I'm going to get blood on me. And so I, I take the dog back into the house, and pretty quickly I see that we've got a, a pretty good amount of blood. I, I don't know where the blood's coming from. So Corey at this point, she had been out in the front yard, I guess, or maybe out in the 
driveway. And so she comes in. We get the boys in. She sees the blood. I see the blood. Now we're dripping blood. I don't know where the blood's coming from. And I'm thinking there's blood on the neck. Let's look on the neck. She, you know, being the woman, has the smarter sense of looking other places near the neck. And she finds on his ear that he, somebody bit his ear. Something happened. The blower cut his ear. I have no idea. On his ear, he starts bleeding. And if you have a dog, then you know it is impossible to stop a dog's ear from bleeding. Like, you can't do it. Like, it's impossible. Like, so we finally, like, I don't know, a couple hours later, we would, we would, we would kind of get the blood stopped, and then he would walk away from us, and then he would shake, and it would, like, unclot and spray blood everywhere. I know I'm making some of you sick. I've got, like, three outfits now that have dog blood on them. Like, because I would change, I'd be like, oh, we got it, and I'd come down, and he'd shake, and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I have blood on me again. All of this happened. We finally got it. He's fine. I went to PetSmart. That was an experience all in itself. I think that's what hell will be like. But <laughs> I, I find, we, we finally got him taken care of with some type of liquid Band-Aid super glue spray to his ear. I don't know. It stands up now a lot. I'm not really sure why it does that. But here's the problem. The dog did not obey me. Right? I, he, he, he was more interested in what was going on out there than what I was saying in here. And so there was a lack of obedience, right? There was a, there was a, a disconnect between I was, what, what I was commanding him to do, what I was asking him to do, what I was calling for him to do, and what he wanted to do. And that really kind of helps get us into the second week of our Storyteller series. We've been talking last week and again this week and for several more weeks out of Hebrews chapter 11. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to flip there to Hebrews 11. We're looking at these stories from characters in Hebrews 11. It's the Hall of Faith. It's the Faith chapter. It's stories of incredible... Uh, people and things that they've done. They're not super special people. They're ordinary people like you and I, but they've done some incredible things that help them to really stand out among the rest of humanity for some things that they've done. And we talked last week about Enoch and this guy that just was walking with the Lord and then he was no more, not because he died, but because God took him away. And what does it really mean to please God? And today we're looking at the story of Noah. Noah is a story that many of you know, even if you didn't grow up in church, you, you know of Noah and the ark and, and they've made movies about it. And this is a story that most of us are familiar with in some way, but I want us to read from Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven. This is what it says. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I want to read it one more time. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, English teachers in this room just looked at this sentence and they thought, how in the world do we diagram that, right? Because there's a bunch of prepositional phrases and there's all kinds of things. They're dependent clauses, independent clauses. The first part of that first verse, just it, you can't really figure out what you're even saying. But here's the bottom line. By faith, which is how each of these really stories start in Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah's doing something. Noah did something that he was commended for and he did it. And then instead of telling us what he did, it tells us why he did it. Here's his rationale. Being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Now, this traces back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. What is faith? This is what we talked about a little bit last week. We're going to track along with this during this entire series. But faith is the, the evidence of things hoped for. It's this conviction or assurance of things as yet unseen. 
So we talked last week about faith is really needed to believe in God. Faith is really needed to, to, to trust in a lot of things that we can't see with our eyes, the things that we say we believe as it relates to faith. And not all of those are related to religion or Christianity. We believe or have faith in a lot of things that we can't see or be assured of. And so the idea of faith here, Noah is warned by God about some things that he can't see yet. He's warned by God about something that's going to happen, something that's coming, but he can't see it with his eyes. If you've ever seen the, the great comedy sketch by Bill Cosby, it's awesome related to this. He's, you know, he's kind of talking about what God's commanding him to do. And here's my take on it because I am no Bill Cosby. But here's, here's my take on it. God says to Noah, hey, I want you to build a boat. And Noah's like, awesome, I'll do that. What's a boat? And, and God's like, this is this thing you're going to be in when it rains. And Noah's like, oh, okay, cool. What's rain? Because to this point, all of this was new information. Why are you going to do this, God? Well, I need you to be in this boat when it rains because I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to kill everybody on the earth except you and your family because you've been found righteous in the midst of unrighteousness. And then in the Cosby clip, and what I would be asking is, seriously, you're going to kill everybody? You're going to destroy the earth? You're going to start over? And you've chosen me? And so what we have here is he's being warned by God about this incredible thing that's coming. But Noah can't see it yet. And then there's this really amazing phrase that we just read. In reverent fear. Your translation may say holy fear. It may just say in reverence. But in reverent fear, Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. In reverent fear and holy fear. And here's what I thought when I was, I was getting ready this week. I was kind of working through this, this passage. I looked at that phrase reverent fear and obviously I wanted to know what it was and it, it really is some of the other translations do a better job, but it's just the idea of reverent awe. It's the idea that Noah responded to the, to the greatness. The, he had this awe, the sense of awe and wonder of God. And so out of that awe and wonder, he responds. He chooses to believe in the greatest thing that he has knowledge of rather than anything that he can't see. Now, that's incredible for you and I because we're found a lot of times in our lives looking at things that we see with our eyes and trying to sync those up with the things we can't see with our eyes. We're left to believe in things that don't match what we see. I've talked about it a good bit, but my mom was diagnosed with cancer. She battled cancer for two full hard years, really trying to fight this thing out. And during this time, we would get good doctor's reports and then we would get bad doctor's reports. We would get good reports and then we would get bad reports. And all throughout this time, I was kind of living in the tension that's found in Mark chapter 9. It's this father of a child who's sick and Jesus is there to heal this child. And Jesus says, if you believe, and the dad almost... I kind of read it almost like in not in in in, in uh, being upset, but almost something where he looks at him and says, "If I believe, I do believe. Help my unbelief." And so I do believe, help my unbelief. That's where I found myself living in the tension while my mom was sick; she was battling cancer, and I think a lot of us live there. Maybe not to these catastrophic things about somebody dying, but I do believe. But I also have unbelief. I was taught as a kid, you know, if you have faith of a mustard seed, that's just a little bit of faith. So if you have any doubt, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. You have no faith. And I don't think those thing, two things are mutually exclusive. I think you can have faith and have doubt. You can wrestle with the things that you, you see while holding on to and struggling to really understand what you believe and what you don't see. And so there is this tension. And I think Noah probably felt that. But in reverent fear, in awe and wonder, recognizing the greatness of God, he constructed this ark, this boat that he had no knowledge of to survive a rain he had no knowledge of to save himself and his household from this event that he had yet to see. And so he's commended here for his faith. I, I was thinking about holy fear, reverent fear. 
And I wonder if there are times that I respond to God in this reverent fear. And then I wonder how many times in my life I don't respond because of other kinds of fear. I wonder if there are things that I believe or I say I believe, things that I know I'm supposed to do, obedient steps that I'm supposed to take to follow God. And I wonder if there are other fears that keep me from obeying when all I would need to do is focus on God and kind of have this holy fear, this reverent fear that compels me to obey. And I don't know about you, but I guess that's where I try to live is which fear, which reverence, which sense of my focus is prompting my actions. Is my focus on the God that I know to be bigger, the God that I know who's never let me down, never lied to me. He, he keeps his word. He keeps his promises. He's got a track record. Is that the one that I lean into or do I lean into what I see? Is the fear of the, the, the known greater than the reverent fear of maybe the unknown? And so Noah is a story that we have. We read it in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. And so this little capsule here is just one piece of it. I want us to drop back to Genesis. So if you've got your Bibles, flip there. It's in Genesis chapter 6. It's the first book of the Bible, first book of the Old Testament. We're going to read kind of snippets from this story out of these three chapters and, and really see how this might apply to our lives. But Genesis chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 9. This is what it says. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. I don't think his wife was there when he named them. It was, probably would have named them something different. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. And then God gives instructions. The length of the ark is 300 cubits and the breadth 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breadth of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of all the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds and every creeping thing on the ground. I wish he'd have left that off right there. Just throwing that out there. According to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to keep uh, to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up and it shall serve as food for you and for them. And listen to this verse in verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. him. Now, we don't have record of the conversation between Noah and his wife. We don't have the record here of the conversation between Noah and his sons. And even if his sons, the the three cool names we read earlier, even if they said, yeah, that sounds like a great plan, Dad. Let's spend the next 120 years building a boat with you to save us from the rain that's coming so that God can destroy all of our friends and family. That sounds like a great plan. Even if the sons bought in, I envision the wives of the sons And that conversation in the tent when they found out, and now they're telling their wives, I don't know if you've ever been a part of that conversation, trying to convince your spouse what your parents want you to do, if you've ever had that experience. Yeah, so dad was talking to me today, we're going to build a boat, 
and we're going to stay in the boat while it rains and God destroys everybody. And we're going to we're going to take the next 120 years to build it. And so I'm going to quit my job and start helping dad build the boat. I don't know how that would have gone over in, in Ham's tent. I can tell you how that would have gone over in Jeremy's tent. Okay. I think I don't I just don't know that we would have been on board. But here we see that Noah did everything God commanded. And I'm assuming because Noah was a righteous man in a land of unrighteousness that he was raising kids who understood that he heard from God. And that if Noah said to them, listen, I know that God said this to me. Somehow they bought in. They joined up. And what we read over the next few verses is we read that there's now some other instructions about taking seven pairs of clean animals. Remember in the law, there was the differentiation between clean animals and unclean animals and things that you could eat and things you couldn't eat and things that you could touch and things you couldn't touch. And now there's greater instruction to bring seven pairs of clean animals and two and and a pair, male and female, of the unclean animals. And you have all these other instructions. And then God says, hey, we're, we're now wrapping this thing up. This is after the boat's been built. So we just jumped ahead 120 years. The boat's already been built. And this is what he says in verse 4. This is not on the screen. It says, For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the earth. And listen to this in verse 5 of, of chapter 7. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah got the original instructions. We don't have any record of other further instructions during the 120 years to build the ark. We don't have any other instructions prior to then, hey, we're about to launch the boat. And so here's some further instructions. Make sure you get seven pairs of the clean animals and a pair of the unclean animals. And go ahead and start loading them up because in seven days I'm sending the rain. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. And then we get a little little passage here about how old Noah was and that they were just supposed to get into the ark and, and be a part of what God was doing here. And verse, uh, verse 8 of chapter 7 says, Of all clean animals... And of animals that are not clean, and of birds, and everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. Noah, again, was obedient. He follows the directions to a T. He makes sure he's doing exactly what God had said. And then we see that the floods, the water, is about to come. And we read a little further down in verse seven, in, uh, in chapter seven, in verse fifteen, it says they went into the ark. Noah has loaded them in. Now they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. I don't know why that's important. I just love the fact that God finished up on the instructions that He gave to Noah. Noah didn't have to do all of it himself. He didn't have to rig up some kind of pulley system. God handled part of the details in the things that he had commanded to, God, to, to, to Noah. The water came. And the water came and it flooded and it rained. And we see that I don't know how, how you stay in the boat. And maybe people are banging on the boat now and you hear them screaming. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they didn't have that experience. I don't know. But eventually the waters come and everything is destroyed. And this is what it says in 722. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah. And all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. 
And God made a wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. I would say it probably got pretty lonely in the boat. I didn't say quiet. It was probably very noisy. But I'm thinking it probably got pretty lonely, especially if you had the realization that you were now with, in this boat, all that was left on the earth that was alive. I don't know if the walls of that boat would start closing in on you. I don't know if there might be a sense of, God, do you really know what you're doing? I don't know if there's a questioning of, man, what's going on here? I don't know how this is going to play out. I'm not sure why God would choose me. I'm not sure how the... But all that we have is the record that Noah did everything that God commanded him. And then God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah and he begins to make the waters subside and he... He brings the waters to dry up and Noah gets out and God sends a rainbow as a promise that he would never destroy the earth ever again. This is the part that you and I probably know about this story. Even if you weren't raised in any kind of faith background, you see a rainbow and somebody along the way maybe told you that that came from the days of Noah. That God sent a flood and he destroyed everybody and you're thinking, man, what a mean, vindictive God. And, but now he's promised they'll never do it again. But I don't know, the last couple of weeks it seems like we've been getting a lot of rain, right? <laughs> I'm thinking, rainbow, hello, where are you, right? Maybe God forgot. (laughs) But we see the promise of God here with the rainbow. We see that Noah built an altar. And he honors God and he reverences God. But what I love about this is that if we were to pick these things out, which I just did, and we were to read these things, Noah did all that God commanded. Noah did this. Noah obeyed everything God asked him to do. You would think, man, his faith was really solidified in this process. But why was Noah even chosen? Because he was a righteous man in the midst of unrighteousness. You see, I think some of us, we feel like, man, if, if God would call me to something, I would do it. If God would ask me to do something big, if God would ask me to build an ark, I would do it. I think the reality is that God asks people to build arks that he's found faithful before, right? That's a scriptural principle. It's be found faithful in the little things and God will make you ruler over many things. My favorite story in the Bible is this guy named David, right? King David who kills Goliath and they write songs about him. David's killed his 10,000. Saul's only killed 1,000, which I guess is a little number of people you kill. And so David's this incredible guy who's standing in front of Goliath and kills. And all of us say, I want to have my Goliath day. But you know how David even got to stand before Goliath? Some of you know this. He told his dad he would carry the bread and cheese to his brothers. You know how David got to be king? Because God went looking for a king and he was tending his father's sheep. I think there's this incredible principle about God that God comes looking for people he knows he can trust to be faithful. It's like you and I, man, I I don't know if you're like me, but I remember being younger and not knowing anything about money and thinking, man, if I could just get more money, I would be more generous. And I got more money and it was harder to be more generous, right? Because I think more money exposes who you already are. And I think more opportunity exposes who you already are. You get the promotion, you're the same jerk you were before. You said you would never be that guy when you were in management, except you were that guy before. So I think there's this principle about who God calls and who God chooses. What is God looking for in people? I think he's looking for faithful people who will be righteous in a land of unrighteousness so that when God needs to save humanity, he knows 
who he can count on. He knows who to call. He knows who to point to. Hey, I need someone who won't think I'm crazy when I tell them to take 120 years and build a boat when they've never heard of a boat. To save them from rain when they've never heard of rain. I'll ask Noah. I'll ask Noah. He's a guy that trusts me. He's a guy that's faithful. He's righteous in a land of unrighteousness. And my, 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 my thought here for me, and I don't know if it applies to you at all, is I want to be the kind of guy that God asks to do crazy things. But I don't know if you just get asked to do crazy things unless you're willing to do the little things. I worked at a church one time. I was in college and I was working at this church and I was a part-time youth pastor. And we had this incredible guy named Tim. Tim was not even on our staff. He just went to our church and he was retired. He'd retired early and he, he, had, he pulled out of the company that he was in. He had enough money to do anything he wanted to do. And what he chose to do two days a week was come and clean our church for free. And he would just come and he would clean the church. And that doesn't sound like maybe a big deal for some of you. You kind of get, you know, you get excited about cleaning and sweeping and mopping and taking out the trash. And that's God's spiritual gift for you. And Tim had that. But here's the thing. It wasn't just sweeping and mopping and taking out the trash. Because I would see a lot of times as I walked down the hallway or I was in my I would see Tim cleaning and scrubbing the toilets. volunteering to do this. And I said one day, as I was passing Tim in the hall, I said, Tim, man, thank you so much for what you do. He, he was almost insulted that I would say that. I don't know why. I was really trying to be nice. But he said, no, 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 you don't understand. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. You, like, you, you don't get it. When I, I know this sounds strange, but when I'm vacuuming the sanctuary... I'm praying for every single seat that I walk by. God, fill these seats with people that need to hear about you. When, when I'm cleaning the glass of the front doors so that there's no fingerprints from the little kids that stood there while they waited on their mom and dad to finish shaking hands, I'm praying that every person who passes through or passes back out would know the love of God. He said, I know you're going to think this is strange. And I did. He said, when I'm cleaning the bathrooms and I'm scrubbing the toilets, I'm just praying that God would bless every person that uses those toilets. I thought, man, that's way more faithfulness than I have. But I think Tim's the kind of guy God uses. I don't think that you have to leave today and go scrub the toilets of the bathrooms here. I, I, I think that sense of faithfulness, though. That sense of being found righteous in a land of unrighteous. That sense of obeying God when nobody else is obeying. When saying yes, when everybody else is saying no. You know who David was before his dad asked him to carry bread and cheese? He was the anointed next king of Israel. Right? He, he was the guy. He had already been anointed. The prophet had already come and laid his hands on him and said, You will be the king of Israel. And then dad says, hey, will you carry grain and cheese? Right? No, I will not. Get somebody else. Those are the kind of people that God uses. When I was preparing, I found this incredible verse of scripture that I, 
I know I've read it because I've read this book of the Bible all the way through, but I don't remember ever just this verse pricking my heart like it did this week. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 3. There's a lot going on in this verse, so just kind of hang with me for a second. But this is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In which he went and proclaimed the spirit to the spirits in prison. Verse 20. Because they formerly did not obey. This is the part I want you to focus in on. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared. In which a few, that is eight persons. Were brought safely through the water. Now again, there's a ton going on here. But let me just kind of summarize it for you. Christ died As a righteous person, having never sinned for those of us who were sinners. He was the righteous for the unrighteous, the sacrifice. And there's this connection later in this passage that talks about the water of baptism. Water water baptism that we believe about. We showed a video a couple weeks ago. The water of baptism and that's connection to the salvation through Jesus Christ for the righteousness of everyone else. And then they connect it to the story of Noah and how the waters were a part of the saving of the righteous in the boat as the unrighteous were destroyed. I never, never thought about that. Never even really understood that concept and that connection. But then this really cool thing jumped out at me as I read because it says when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. And I remembered that God told Noah the plan before Noah started building the ark. Remember what we read in Genesis 6? God says to Noah, I want you to build a boat out of gopher wood because you're righteous. I need to save righteousness. I need to destroy unrighteousness. And I'm going to send a flood that's going to wipe out everything. And then we read that Noah did everything that God commanded. Over the next 120 years, God held his judgment that he'd already decided so that Noah could build an ark. Now, here's the the truth. God could have day one come and sent floodwaters that destroyed everything, but it just stopped right around Noah and his family. God could have gathered all the birds of the air and the creepy crawly things and all the clean animals and all the unclean animals. He could have brought them all together in this single place or he could have left them scattered among the earth and he could have sent water or fire or he could have just struck them all with heart attacks and everybody died that was unrighteous and everybody that was righteous lived and was saved. But he chose not to do that. He chose to work through a guy named Noah and he chose to let Noah build a boat and he told Noah the plan. I'm going to destroy everything that's unrighteous. But I want you to build a boat. And then God was patient and waited for 120 years before he administered his judgment on the earth so that Noah could be obedient. And here's my question Where is God being patient so that you can be obedient? What has God asked you to do? What is God asking you to do that seems crazy to you? Build a boat? Who wants to build a boat? Let's buy a boat. You're sending rain? What's rain? God, you want me to do what? You want me to quit my job and clean the church for free? What? You want me to write a book? You want me to raise my grandkids? 
What, you want me to give money away? You want me to sell my house and do what? You want me to help raise the kids in my family who don't have any type of faith example and show them what it means to love my wife as Christ loves the church? You, you want me, I'm not smart, you don't, you don't understand. You want me to go to college? My family doesn't have the money. I didn't make that good of grades. You want me to do what? You want me to go back to school? I'm an adult. I don't think you know. You want me to switch jobs? I want to switch jobs. You want me to keep my job? And God said, here's the plan. Here's the instructions. Here's what I want you to do. And then I believe if 1 Peter chapter 3 is real, that God will be patient to give us the opportunity to be obedient. But we see that God is a God of justice. He judges sin and he eventually does send a flood. And I can't prove it, but I would say if at any point during the 120 years Noah said, I'm done with this, there would have been some other part of the story that we would have read. Some other miraculous thing that God finished the boat with a snap. One of Noah's sons was raised up and finished the project and was saved. I don't know how the story works. Here's what I know. That God was patient in the days of Noah while he waited for the ark to be built. And that it's easy to be obedient to say yes to God in a moment. But it's really difficult when you're tired of carrying gopher wood for the last 120 years and putting mud in between the cracks so that the water doesn't get in and rounding up seven of every kind of clean animal and rounding up a pair of every unclean animal. There's got to be a moment in that where the Bible should say Noah did not do what God commanded him. Noah went to sleep. Noah got tired. Noah got frustrated. Noah questioned that God even knew what the heck he was talking about. No. By faith, Noah, having been warned by God about events yet unseen, built an ark for the saving of his household. And by that, he joined in the righteous for the condemnation of the unrighteous. What has God asked you to do? What is God asking you to do that you need to be obedient in? Because I promise you that God is patient to let you be obedient. It may seem crazy. It may not make a whole lot of sense to you. You may not know what an ark is. You may not know what a flood is. You may not make all the pieces fit together. You may not know where the money's coming from. You may not know who's going to be involved. You may not know who your partner's going to be. You may not know who the person you're supposed to marry is. You may not know how it's all going to play out. But as you wait for God to say something else, God may be waiting on you to obey. You're waiting for this new word, this new revelation. I need more clear instructions, God. And God's saying, you've got what you need. Obey. And I would love for my story 
to read out like this. Jeremy did all that God commanded him to do. What if while you wait for God to talk again, he's waiting for you to finish what he asked you to do? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. God, it's easy to read stories like this and want to be that guy. It's easy to hear these things. It's easy to go back to stories we know. Maybe to get a little overwhelmed by being that obedient for that long. For saying yes to those kinds of things. God, I pray today for every one of us in the room that we wouldn't wouldn't be overwhelmed by this story. We would be encouraged by it. We do believe, but we've got some unbelief. And in stories like that, you heal our son anyway. That we we, we do want to have Goliath days. We're just not sure how tending sheep on the backside of the mountain gets us there. We're not sure how carrying grain and cheese gets us anywhere near the giant and the songs and the throne. And so my prayer today, God, for every one of us is that we would look to be obedient in the small things. We would look to be obedient in the big things, that our our lives, our testimony, our stories would be that we did all that you commanded us to do. And God, we thank you for your patience. We thank you that you're patient to give us the opportunity to be obedient. We understand your judgment comes. God, I thank you for the opportunity to obey.